0: And this morning, you can see we're going to be looking into this little book of Jude. And we'll just start in verse 1 here to get just a little background. And it says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. So we see it's pretty simple that Jude was the writer of this little book, and he was a servant. He was not an apostle. And he was the half brother of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And he writes to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. So we see that he's writing to the believers. And it seems like that most folks that I've read after commentaries. It seemed like they said it was possible to the Jews that he was writing to here in this little book uh, in light of the illustrations that were given. And In verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, then he goes on and he says, I found it necessary Here we see that Jude had intended his desire was to write about the salvation that all believers enjoyed, but he was compelled instead to write a call to battle for the truth in the light of the apostate teachers. As we saw here as Phil read this morning. Now, There was a quote by Spurgeon who he said, the motto of all true servants of God must be that we preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without flour in it, and how true that is. I would much rather get up here and preach about Christ and Him crucified, but you know it's still, (laughs) here he says, I found it necessary to write to you appealing for you to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. The reason, because the doctrine here that he was writing against was apostasy. There was false teachers and false apostles. 1 John 2, 22 and 23 says, Who is the liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And we see that through the writings picked up in verse, uh, actually in verse 4. We find that the setting here was Christianity was under severe attack from Rome and spiritual infiltration from the Gnostic-like teachers who sowed a huge harvest of doctrinal error. And Jude called for the church to stand and fight for the truth of Scripture. And that's what we're doing today. We are living in apostate times, if there ever was any. And we see here, he gives us the characteristics uh, from about verse 4 on to verse 16, or verse 19, actually the characteristics of the apostate or the false teacher. In verse 4, he says they were ungodly. They were morally perverted. They denied Christ. In verse 8, they defiled the flesh. They were rebellious. And they revile holy angels. In verse 10, they were dreamers. They were ignorant. They were corrupted. Verse 16, they were fault finders. They were self-seekers. They were arrogant. They were arrogant speakers, and they were flatterers. Verse 18, they were mockers. In verse 19, they were those who caused division, and they were worldly-minded, and they were without the Spirit. So this morning as we look at this little letter of Jude, as we see how it ends, there is one crucial question that comes to my mind. And that is, how can you and I as believers, how can we contend for the faith and be victorious in such evil and perverse times as we're living in? In other words, how can we personally apply the cautions of Jude regarding apostasy to our own daily lives. These warnings clearly demand a response from all of us. And we need more than just a warning. We need a plan of attack. We need to act not only in building up our own spiritual armor, as we look to Ephesians, Ephesians? <laughs> Phil, not Ephesians. Ephesians. <laughs> 6.10-17 suggests, but also in helping others in the church. You and I need biblical discernment. We need understanding, don't we? Otherwise, how will we know what to embrace or what to shun? How will we know what is truth or what is error? In verse 3b, we saw here, he says, I found it necessary to write to you to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What a treasure! The faith. The Gospel. It is a treasure. And tragically, there are many in the contemporary church today who lack spiritual discernment and understanding. They are much better at staying in tune with our culture than at understanding Bible doctrine and teaching. Many today have shifted their focus from the clear teaching of Scripture to the felt needs of sinners. Just make our church service comfortable. No speaking out against sin. Don't talk about repentance. Don't talk about those who are dead in trespasses and sins. But just preach to fill the pews. Do whatever it takes to bring them in. Do not challenge the people to compare their own lives with the word of God to examine their hearts. Those people become weak and biblically naive and ignorant. That is why our American church people are filled with worldliness and are totally defenseless against all types of error. Does that not sound like our American church today? Sad to say it is. In our text this morning, Jude instructs us how to properly contend for the faith and prosper in our spiritual lives even in the midst of a fallen world and growing evil in apostate times. We find in the text three truths, that if applied and obeyed, Will grant all believers discernment. We must, in these verses we find 17 through 23, we must remember, we must remain, and we must reach out. Before we continue, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Sorry, Rachel, the three R's. <laughs> anyway, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, We humbly come before you, Lord. We recognize that without you, we are nothing. We have nothing to offer if it were not for your saving grace and for the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Father, this morning we ask that you might guide our tongue, guard our tongue. We pray, Lord, that you would Give us clarity of speech. Give us understanding. Give us wisdom. And guide us especially by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that you would increase, that I might decrease. Because Lord, if there's anything that I speak this morning, it will be worthless. It's only what you speak through your word that will encourage anyone or edify anyone so we just ask that you will speak through me this morning and i pray lord that all the the power all the glory all the honor will be yours and you'll be glorified through our words this morning as you speak to us from your word in jesus name amen We're reminded in verses five through seven, and also eleven through thirteen, that these false teachers pose a constant threat. I know, as as, as Phil was reading, <laughs> verse twelve there really gives the characteristics of these buzzards. Uh, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. They as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, reprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the poem of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. I'd hate to be in their shoes. They were present in the Old Testament times as well. We're going to read a few chapter, or a few verses from uh, various books in the Old Testament. Isaiah 28, 7. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. Jeremiah 23, 14. Therefore, but in the prophets of Jerusalem I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns from this evil. All of them have become like Sodom and Gomorrah. Ezekiel 13, 4, Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. Micah 3, a Its heads give a judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Zephaniah 3, 4, Her prophets are fickle, They're treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. What do we see there that's a common thread? It's the leaders. The leaders have fallen into condemnation and to evil. And in the New Testament times as well, we see that they were also in the early church in 1 John 2 uh, 18 through 22, who is the liar, but he who denies the Father and the Son? This is the Antichrist. Second John 1 7, for many deceivers have gone out into the world, but those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the Antichrist. Revelations 2 2 I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. So we see that they are were active in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and they are active in every church today as we stated in our introduction. Jude exhorted the believers here, he says, but you must remember, beloved. But you must remember, beloved. It's interesting, he throws that little word, but, the conjunction here, that is changing his thought process where he talks about the grumblers, the malcontents, following their own sinful desires, loudmouth boasters, and so on. And then he says, but you must remember, beloved. Beloved. He's speaking to those of us. He is telling us to remember the truths that were pre- predicted of the past of who? Of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Even Jesus himself warns in the New Testament against false teachers. In Matthew 7 15, as we uh, read a little bit earlier here, but he says, he says, beware of false prophets who also come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Peter warned in 2 Peter 2.1, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And John also wrote in 1 John 4.1, Beloved, do not breathe... Believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. And we are supposed to test the spirits today. And how do we do it? We do it only by the Word of God. And many scriptures warn us in the New Testament continually what Christ and the apostles were saying, that false teachers or the apostates would come and infiltrate the church. But Jude quoted Peter 3.3, he says, In the last times there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. He says in verse 6.18 here, They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And these scoffers are those who scoff at the very law of God, also at the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but understand this, then in the last days there will come times of difficulty. And that's where we're living today. And 2 Peter 3.4 says, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep or died, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And we see that today. Not long ago, I remember I talked to somebody and said, ah, it's been over 2,000 years that Christ's come, or that um, the apostles were looking for Christ's coming, and uh, he's not here, so maybe he's just not coming. That's what they're saying. They're scoffing, they're laughing about it. And such scoffers will be following their own ungodly passions, won't they? And since they have not been transformed by our Lord Jesus Christ, all they can do is pursue their own ungodly desires. We shouldn't be surprised when we see those who follow their own sinful flesh, not heeding counsel from the very Word of God. And you know today there are those that will not heed the counsel of God's Word? We've ran into it. We've tried to talk to people who, and tried to, to show them the Word of God, They don't want to to heed it. Why? There's no fear of the Lord anymore. In verse 19, he says, It is those who do what? They cause divisions. These are the first things we should remember. They cause divisions. What characterized the lives of these false teachers? They portrayed themselves like a Pharisee, like the Pharisees did. They were arrogant. They acted so pious, they looked so good on the outside, but inside they were like dead men's bones. They were like whited sepulchers. Inside they stunk. Luke 6.15, it says they were condescending. Matthew 7.5-8 tells us that they had no understanding of the truth of the Word of God. All they knew is the law. They held it to every jot and tittle, but they didn't understand the grace of God. Instead of putting others ahead of themselves, what did they do? Which is the true test of humility and unity. They exalted themselves above others. That's what they did. But Timothy, or Philippians 2, 3 and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I have to take just just a few seconds here and say, I, I really appreciate you folks here at RHC. You do well there in looking to the needs of others rather than looking only to the needs of yourselves. And I want to commend you. Praise God. And also then, secondly, he says... They were worldly-minded. 1 John 2.15 tells us this. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the sinful pride of life is not of the Father it is from the world that's worldliness more more accurately stated it's sensual persons basically these false teachers lacked the internal qualities and the ability to reason and a true knowledge of our sovereign god they had no understanding of god they said they knew god They knew all about God, but they did not know God. They did not know His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, in a relationship. Their lives did not show the transformation of Jesus Christ, which is the true test of every Christian. They were physically alive, but they were spiritually dead because They had never been born again of God's Holy Spirit. Romans 12, 1 tells us this. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, or I beseech you in the King James. I love that little word, beseech you. It just sounds like I beg of you. Brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. They were never regenerated or transformed. Paul told Titus, he said they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable, disobedient, and worthless for any good deed. First Titus 1, 16. So we, we see here the things that we are to remember. That we are to remember that there were scoffers after their own ungodly passions. They caused divisions. They're worldly people. And they were devoid of the Spirit. And now we're looking at those that will remain. Verse 20 and 21. He says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, there's that word faith again, that treasure, the gospel. Speaking of to those of us who are believers in Christ, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, We must stay in God's word each and every day of our lives. So we do not allow ourselves to be led astray and remain on the narrow path that leads to sanctification, that leads to holiness. We don't want to walk on the broad way, but the narrow way that leads to eternal life. We must Be strong in Bible doctrine, so we recognize error and are able to battle for the truth of God's word. Just as Jude found it necessary to write, he said, appealing to you to contend for the faith, as we saw. And the first element, he says, to contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Again, in our text, he says, to build yourselves up in the most holy faith. This implores impersonal edification, spiritual growth and maturity. This basically speaks to us about studying the Word of God and applying it to our daily lives. As I said, we need to study God's Word every day. I found a quote when I was down at my son's, down at Aaron's. found it lying on his desk there, and it said, We are bred by the Word, and we are fed by the Word. And how true that is, those of us who are believers. We are bred by the Word and fed by the Word. We should desire to live a life of holiness before God. Acts 20.32 says, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, he says, I commend you to God and the word of His grace which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified or set apart. That is my desire for each and every one of you here at RHC would be that the word of Christ will dwell in your hearts richly especially. Colossians 3, 16a tells us that the word of Christ dwells richly in your hearts. That's what we desire to see. Peter also wrote in 1 Peter 2, 2, that believers should desire the word for spiritual growth. How? Just as babies desire the spiritual milk for their daily food, the mother's milk for their daily food. We should desire the spiritual milk, which is the Word of God. Babies depend on their mother's milk every day, and I—it's I, been a long time since I had these little babies, but uh, well, I didn't have, but Ann did. And anyway, the—it seems like I don't—I for, forget how often they they would eat, but seemed like quite often. Seemed like they were eating all the time. And uh, anyway, that's the way we're to be doing. We're to be. Spending time in this book continually every day. If we don't, what happens? We're like that little child. If they don't eat, they become malnourished, they become sickly, and eventually they will die. Same thing with us, spiritually. If we don't read the word daily, I know that's the way I found it, I become sick, and eventually I'll die. I die on the vine. And I end up just like I found a little quote again in my son's study. (laughs) It says that dusty Bibles will always lead to dirty lives. Or we can reverse that. Dirty lives will always lead to dusty Bibles. How true that is. Spend time in the book, and your lives will be most led in holiness. Spend time out of the book, and you'll live in worldliness. A second element for us to remain in sanctification involves, it tells us here, praying in the Holy Spirit. This refers praying for the Spirit's will, His desires, His goals, His visions, His plans. Not my plans, but His. Even though His will is plainly shown to us in His Word, many fail to always know how to practically apply it to the very issues of life. Many times the Holy Spirit intercedes for us before God the Father with genuine fervor. We've all had that experience, I'm sure. Romans 8:26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not always know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we pray in the Holy Spirit, we submit to Christ, we rest on Christ, we seek Christ's will, and we trust Christ's almighty power. We rest wholly upon Him. Another quote by Spurgeon. He says, Prayer with the heart is the heart of prayer. The cry of our heart, our soul, is the soul of our cry. Think of that. The cry of our soul is the soul of our cry. There's been times in my life where I didn't hardly know, I turned to the Lord, but I didn't know what to say. I'd get down on my knees and nothing would come out. God would intercede for me. In words deeper than I could even imagine praise the Lord that we have Christ to intercede for us in those times first John 5 14 and 15 says and this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him But let's remember one thing. This is in accordance with His will, His wisdom, His power, and His truth. Not our will. I can't ask anything. I can't say, Lord, I want a new Lamborghini in my driveway. I don't think that's going to happen. No, it won't happen. No. It wouldn't be good for me. I'd probably get in an accident. But anyway, if we pray for anything according to His will... If I pray for wisdom, God's going to give it. I believe that completely. So that's the key. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Now thirdly, in verse 21, what does he say? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Third, as we pursue sanctification, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. This means we are to stay in the sphere of God's love and blessing. God's blessing is only promised when? When we are living and obedient to God's absolute and inerrant word of God. Jesus told the apostles, he said in John 15, 9-11, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments... You will abide in His love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in His love. On the other hand, if we become disobedient to His word, we move from a position of blessing to a position of what? Chastisement and discipline. Why? Because the Bible does tell us that whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And we can be thankful for that. I know I am. There's times in my life when I walk away from Him. He disciplines me like I used to discipline my children. Finally, as we remain in sanctification, we must be waiting on the mer- for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. You and I must wait with great longing and expectancy We are to live with heaven and eternity in our view as we eagerly await Christ's return. May we set our affections on the things above and not on things of this earth. As Colossians 3.2 instructs us, he says, set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth. That's what we should do each and every day. On that great day, all of us who have placed our trust in the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ will experience His final mercy and enjoy the fullness of eternal life as we give Him glory throughout all eternity with glorified and new resurrected bodies. Hallelujah. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to that time. And the older I get, the more aches and pains and uh, the more problems I find that this old body goes through, we get anxious to to be with the Lord. But we realize as Paul said, it's still needful that we stay. So we're happy to stay to share the good news and the gospel of Christ. In 2 Timothy 1:10, he says, "And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And we see by several other verses how he basically says the same thing in Romans 2, 7, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. Romans 5, 17, for if by one man's trespass Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace that the free gift of righteousness reign in life through that one man, Jesus Christ. 1 John 5.20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true, and we are in Him who is true, and His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. How thankful that we have that eternal life through His Son. So we see that we must remain in the love of God. We must build ourselves up in the most holy face. We must pray in the Holy Spirit. We must remain keeping ourselves in the love of God and that we must be waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now finally, he tells us that we should reach out. We should reach out. Verse 22 and 23, "...those who pose the greatest threat to the church are also part of the mission field. Not only are we as believers responsible to recognize and oppose the enemy and his error, we are commanded to reach out and evangelize the enemy with the gospel." Romans 1.16 tells us we are all acquainted. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, for for it is the power of God unto salvation, unto the Jew first and also to the Gentile. It is the power of God, the gospel. That is what Jesus tried to do when he ate with the Pharisees. While he denounced them as heretics, he proclaimed the way of salvation to them. And we see this as we read, As we go to Luke, you might turn to Luke chapter 7, verse 36. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. We're going to read verse 36 through 50. The reason I want to do that, I could probably tell the story, but I don't want to miss anything here. This is a wonderful little story, a little parable about a sinful woman who was forgiven. Verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask uh, full of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet and her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who, what sort of, who and what sort of woman this is, to, who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Oh my. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. He was arrogant. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said, You have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water to drink, no, no, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears, and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven." To the sinner. God loves the sinner. He's always reaching out with love and mercy and grace. Nicodemus, for example, was a Pharisee who honestly sought the truth. In first in John 3, verse 121, he says: his sincere investigation into Christ's teaching was met with kindness. And compassion from Christ. Christ could have, you know, he was, a, Christ could have really told him, just go away. But no, he had compassion upon him and he stayed with him. In these two verses, 22 and 23, Jude shows us three categories of unbelieving people who, for the church, are both, as I said, a menace and a mission field. They are the confused, the convinced, and the committed. And we'll see them in these two verses. First, we'll start with the confused. He makes it very plain who the confused are. He said, and have mercy on those who doubt. The heretical and deceptive statements made by false teachers along with the worldly lifestyles, can easily confuse some within the church. It happened in the church of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 11:3, 3, he said, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and to pure devotion to Christ. Also, the church at Galatia, Galatia 1, 6 and 8, he says, I'm astonished, I always love this verse, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quick at deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to another gospel. Amazes me. They so quickly turned. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed or anathema. It still happens in the church today. It's either antinomianism or it's legalism. Either license or legalism. That's what we battle with, it seems like. Many are caught in the web of deception And they become confused. Not sure what is true or what is false because they haven't applied themselves to this word. That's our problem in the church today. That's why so many of the churches, in my own ways, I'll just say going south. James, here he says, Like wolves stalking sheep, false teachers prey on those who are weak and ensure and mired in a cloud of doubt. James 1, 6 through 8 says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven by the wind and tossed. Those who are strong in the faith must show mercy to those souls who are torn and shredded with doubt. Ephesians 4, 14a says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I you know, when I was down uh, in Carlsbad, my two grandsons took him down to the beach and they went boogie boarding and while they were out there, you know how the waves take them in this way and that way? Just toss you all around. That's what he's saying here. They're like the waves of the sea. Just toss. We are to exhort such folks with the truth in humility and patience, being diligent, to share the gospel with them before they are completely caught up in heresy. That's our job. Now 23a tells us, to the convinced, saving others by doing what? Snatching them out of the fire. In this outreach, the challenge becomes larger. It is not only the matter of showing mercy, it is the difficult task of rescuing those who are so convinced of false teaching. In this, we must be willing in humility and faith to be used by God to save others. We know that God through His Son, Jesus Christ, of course, is the only or the ultimate way of salvation. In John 14, 60, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, through Jesus. It's the only way. But God uses you and I to share Christ, to reach sinners, who He has called unto Himself with His effectual calling. Acts 2.37 and 3.38 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit See repent and believe and you'll be saved That's what we preach Snatching translates a strong image of seizing something or taking something or someone by force. And I had this illustration brought forcibly to my life this Thursday. I had been studying this passage for some time and, and Thursday I, I have been working for this man who I've known for probably 25 years that I've been uh, working for. And he called me out for a little job, and I, I was there. We just got finished uh, on the job, and I've been sharing Christ with him, actually in more of a, uh, just a larger way for the past 25 years. But this time, he's getting older now. He's about 75 years old. And uh, he said uh, at the end of, uh, of our little of our work, he said, Bruce, He said, I've been reading in the obituaries lately, and there's a lot of people that have been dying about my age and so on, and our age. And he said, you know, won't be long. might be us. I said, yeah, that's that's exactly right, Jim. But I said, you know what, Jim, I'm looking forward to it, actually. I said, "Uh, I've got heaven. Uh, I know where I'm going. He said, yeah, I don't. I said, you know, Jim, you can know today. And, and this, this verse here hit me like a ton of bricks. When, it, when he said that, I got so excited, I was about ready to jump over my four-foot ladder, and then I realized I was 72 years old. I better not try it. And so, <laughs> it was amazing. God just opened the doors And man, I just shared the gospel right at him. I looked him right in the eyes and I said, Jim, let me ask you something. If your house was on fire, do you think, what what do you think I would do? Would I just sit there and say, hmm, just let her burn? It don't matter. It's just Jim's house. Maybe he's in there, but that's okay. (laughs) Is that what I'd say? He said, no, I don't think so. I said, no, I wouldn't, Jim. I love you too much. And I said, that is why that I want to tell you your spiritual house is on fire. You don't know Jesus Christ, but you can. And I shared the gospel to him. I told him that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He shed his blood, gave his life for you. And by believing on a shared Romans 10, 9 with him, I said, if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved today. You can do it right now. And it wasn't long he changed the subject. Man, I felt just like this snatching says. It translates a strong image of seizing something or taking something or someone by force. I felt like somehow I had to snatch a hold of him and pull him out of the fire. Why? It was as though Jude probably apparently knew of someone who had already been drawn into the damning doctrines of the apostates. He pictured them as having been singed by the very fire of hell. That would be their lot if they continued to embrace false teaching, and that's how I felt towards my friend. But I finally had to say, Lord, it's in your hands, because it is. The only way to rescue such people is by to crush their false thinking before it's too late, and their pride. This can be done only by the power of God and the gospel. 2 Corinthians 10, 35, 3 10, 3 through 5, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion, raised against the knowledge of God, and take captive even to the obedience of Christ. Praise the Lord. Now to the committed, finally. 23b, To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment of Stained by the flesh. Sometimes, as believers, we have the opportunity to reach out to those who are committed apostates. They are those who are deceived and deeply committed to their own deceptions. They may even be leaders of heretical doctrines. We've run into them, they come to our door. When reaching out to such people, we who know the truth must proceed with caution, a clear mind, and the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed, is inspired by God. The admonition is to others, show mercy with fear. This shows us sobering, frightening nature that outreach to such people involves. Fear stems from realizing that getting too close to the corrupt apostate error could result in somehow tainting, being tainted by those lies. 1 Corinthians 15, 33, it says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And it reminds me, when I was a little boy, this old German Baptist preacher who I heard, uh, he got up and he says, you know what? If you got two good boys and one bad boy, what do you have? He said, three bad boys. I never forgot that. That's a really good little illustration for this 1 Corinthians 15.33. It takes a lot of time on our knees praying to God for wisdom and guidance as we pray to speak the word into this base type of person. And here Jude used an extremely graphic and coarse language to make us aware of the danger involved in this type of outreach Garment translated and refers to the clothes the people of that day wore under their outer tunics. It was their underwear. The word translated stained or polluted is a form of the verb meaning to stain or to spot. So as the the text states, to be stained by the flesh means to be stained by bodily function. Just as no one desires to handle someone else's dirty underwear, and to be physically defiled, we should be extremely cautious of getting too close to spiritual defilement of those false teachers. We must exercise great caution and wisdom in those who are steeped in a false teaching, a false gospel. Matthew 10:16 says Jesus told the disciples, He said, "Behold, I am sending you out as sheep." In the midst of wolves be wise as serpents and innocent as doves we're about finished here when we do not deal wisely with the spiritual contamination that false teachers promote the result can be disastrous in the church as an example the lord told the church at sardis revelation 3:1. he says i know your works you have a re- reputation of being alive but you're dead Only few in Sardis had not soiled their garments, in verse 4. The rest embraced heresy and damned their souls and killed the church. You and I must follow the warnings, the Apostle Paul, Romans 16, 17, and 18, where he says, Now I urge you, brothers, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teachings which you learned, and turn away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus Christ, but of their own appetites, and their smooth and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. The spiritual survival of us who love and follow Jesus Christ, especially in these perverse and evil times, we need to use utmost care and perseverance. We need to gather often and worship our Lord together as we are today. Gather together every Sunday as often as we can. We need to spend time in fellowship with one another and help build one another up in Christ, in the faith, in the gospel. We must be diligent to practice daily Bible study, prayer, and obedience as we eagerly long for the return of Jesus Christ to take us home and forever praise and glorify God our Savior. Until then, may these three crucial truths, if faithfully applied in our lives, grant us all spiritual discernment. We must remember, remain, and reach out as we have been so instructed by this little letter written by Jude. Now, if there is anyone here this morning who has never repented of your sins, turn to Jesus Christ and trust in His finished work on the cross. God demonstrates His own love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You need to cry out to Him for mercy that He would save you and give you new life. I don't know if there's anyone here in that position. But if you are, the Word of God promises in 1 John 1-9 that if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The prophet Isaiah writes in Isaiah 55, 1-3, Ho, oh, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Scripture promises that whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That whoever will call in the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Spurgeon says the best way to preach Christ to sinners is to to preach sinners to Christ is to preach Christ to sinners. The best way to preach sinners to Christ is to preach Christ to sinners. Romans 10:9 says, "Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead." you will be saved if you are here this morning and have never confessed jesus christ i plead with you i beg with you to call on the name of the lord jesus christ right now and be saved maybe you're here this morning and you are believers most of you are maybe all of you are i trust have you been eating so much junk food That worldliness has ruined your appetite for the Word of God? I trust not. If so, you need to pray for the Lord to give you a longing and a craving for the Word of God. I remember how many years ago it was that I went through a kind of a sparse time in my life. And I I had to come down on my knees and just say, Lord, Give me a longing for your word. Give me a hunger for your word, Father. And he did. He just give me a desire like never before. And I praise him for it. And then go home. Open your Bible and read it and study it and do it today. Don't wait till tomorrow. But then open it tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day after that and the rest of your life. Start feeding on the pure bread of life that you will be able to discern good from evil in these last days. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory With great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now, and forevermore. Amen.